Hello and welcome to the third edition of the Industry Insight Series brought to you by our partners, Elite Performance Partners. EPP are a performance consultancy and search firm highly regarded across sport. Together, we aim to bring you original and exclusive insight and intelligence direct from the front line of high performance. My name is John Porch and I'm the editor at the Leaders Performance Institute and I'm sitting virtually with EPP founding partner, Dave Slemon. Dave, welcome back to the show. How are you doing today and where are you dialing in from? Yeah, good, thanks, John. I am in Bath today, or Bath, if you're from the south, and been traveling around a bit the last week, so it's quite nice to be kind of back in the office. But yeah, um, really good, thanks. Oh, glad to hear it. And today, our guest is Max Lankheit, the Director of High Performance at the MLS side, San Jose Earthquakes. Max, welcome to the show. How are things in sunny California, or are you elsewhere? Thanks for the intro. I am in sunny California, but despite the sun right now, it's still... Um close to November, so it's getting a little bit colder. And by a little bit cold, I mean 20 degrees Celsius. So I need to put on a sweater, which I'm going to do. <laughs> Our sympathies are with you. <laughs> but thank you for joining us so early today. And on the agenda today are the themes of individual development and organizational development. And we will get into those shortly. But Dave, where did you want to kick things off? You know, we, as you say, this is the third one of these series that we've run. And I mean, the clues in the title, it's kind of industry insight series. And, you know, we were looking at what we do. We speak to interesting people all the time. And when you kind of suggested that we kind of partner on this, it was like, who do you know who you think would be interesting for people in the industry to speak to? And Max is one of those people that I thought, do you know what? I think people would be really interested to hear Max's story. It's a little bit different almost unique in, in the kind of where he's come from and what he's done. And it's really refreshing. No pressure, Max, of course. But I thought people will be really interested to hear his story. And almost like a, a kind of one of our best kept secrets that's obviously now going to get out the bag completely, just about how he approaches things. So I thought it'd be interested or interesting to start with. Tell us a little bit about your journey, just a whistle-stop tour. So, you know, not for the whole kind of 40, 50 minutes that we're chatting, but just, a, I guess, a, a couple of minutes, maybe a five-minute overview of kind of where you've come from up to the point of where you are now, kind of sat in California uh, in the freezing 20 degrees. What an intro. Yeah, where do I start? I mean, one thing is for sure, I guess my journey is a little bit different um, than, than that of others. So I have not spent my entire career from start to finish in sports or focusing on sports. I lived in several countries, even from a young age. So I was I was born in, in Italy. And then um, after that, at the age of five, moved to Germany, went to school in Germany, from there, then studied in, in Switzerland, Australia, and then obviously moved over to the United States at some stage. But I guess more importantly, or, or more of interest is what did I do in those years up until up until now? So and I guess from an early age on, I started playing tennis. That's my one my one relationship with, with sports from the from the get-go. So I started playing tennis essentially when, when we moved to Germany. So at the age of five, played that on a you know decent decent level I would say up until the age of 16 um, or 15 to be precise um, and then discovered that, that there was more to life than just you know spending your days on on the court for you know a boy that means oh there's girls that I can hang out with there's other activities I can do <laughs> I cut it there anyhow and besides that then I thought okay what am I do um, with my life so I was always fascinated with late night TV shows. So, um, and by that, I mean, there was only one late night TV show in the classical sense in Germany. Um, but when I say that for the international, um, obviously crowd, it's, it's the Johnny Carsons, it's the Conan O'Briens, it's the Jay Leno's um, of this world. So that's what I consider late night TV show. So um, I was like, I want to do this. So I investigated 
back then there was no such thing or not that much of internet right so i was like okay how how do i find out so i called people like at theaters and and tv states and like okay i want to do this what do i need to do i'm you know 16 years old and um then they said like Look, uh, it seems like the best the best ways to go and um, study acting. I don't know why I did this, by the way. Uh, study acting is absolutely fine. Exactly, it's actually so. All right, so I knew that this was something I wanted to study once I finished high school. But then this was there was more the technical component, and the other component was then um, how do I get to be spontaneous? How do I get to write jokes? How do I get to engage with with an uh, audience and make them laugh, which if you speak to stand-up comedians, is the hardest thing ever. So then I started um, as an intern at the radio station in Germany and essentially gave the morning show producer jokes. So like, so like I want to be part of the morning show because the morning show is the pinnacle of, of radio. And then I gave him jokes every day. So like, yeah, I start with that. And then after like a month, he said like, that's actually really good. Come on, jump on the morning show. So then I started being um, regular on the morning show and did those did those interviews. You know, when people go out on the street and ask ask other people stupid questions and go for very stupid answers. Um, so I did that, um, and then later also was on the air a little bit more often. And then, like I said, went on and studied acting. Um, did my bachelor in acting, then went into actually the whole shebang. Tried to try to make it as an actor, but. People may relate to that. As an actor, you don't have a steady job. So what did I do? What did I want to do? Or what else did I was I able to do was let me um, do something in sports. So that's when I then thought, okay, let me start with personal training. So that's how I started that aspect of my career. So I grew into that one-on-one personal training back then, obviously kind of like more in the infancy stage uh, states, not like it is today, much more elaborated. Did that, then went over to the States once, um, you know, the whole Mark Verstegen and um, now Exos back then athletes performance thing came up in Germany and Europe uh, was very, you know, oh, what is this? Minivans um, and so on. So went over here, thought I need to go to the source, make a long story short, then open up my own gym, ran that for about uh, five years, to be precise, um, sold that and then started my journey because we were training um, youth athletes there from the local uh, football clubs meeting St. Pauli um, because I was in Hamburg and other, you know, Olympic sports went there. They asked me then to jump uh, on full time. And that's kind of like how it all evolved. And from there, I've been mm-hmm. essentially working with, with athletes with a quick stint in between working for, um, for Exos, for Google then as well, which was, I think, also very important for understanding what I do today and why I do it, because I learned a lot about data um, in that stint and how to use yeah. it and why to use it and so on. That's me in a nutshell, I guess. If you think about where you are now, you know, if somebody used to look at you and look at your title, and look at you know, a, a director of performance, that kind of level in an MLS team, people tend to think that you need to have a kind of linear path. I, I would disagree with people thinking that because I think doing different things can really benefit you. What's your thoughts on the journey you've been on how do you look at that in terms of it being a strength or a weakness? And, and what advice would you give to people who, who are maybe a bit more linear and traditional in how they look about it? I ponder about that once in a while as well, going like, 
Mm. What if, you know, you go through those what if scenarios, could I have been in this position earlier if I would have started earlier with, with that pathway and, and, and so on. I think in general, everything we do in life helps us to grow, period. It makes, makes us who we are. And then there's no better or worse or no right or wrong. It's just a unique way and what you make out of the experiences that you had or that you, that you acquired, right? Because at the end of the day, we as humans are essentially just the sum of our experiences, right? I am today because of what I did or have experienced in the past. And I think in my specific case, the fact that I was a youth athlete and, and went through, you know, stints of injury helped me to understand, for example, what it means for a developmental athlete to kind of like have a setback and go like, what do I do for the next six months? Because, you know, my life evolved around the fact and, uh, or like my identity evolved around the fact that, you know, I was good as what, at, at what I do. And then it's just taken away what you do with yourself and how do you deal with yeah. that. On the other hand, the acting, for example, right? I recommend, by the way, everybody out there who has the chance is still young, go and study acting. Because what you essentially study is you, you study yourself. Right? There's a saying in, in the acting world, it's like the first year when you study, they break you. And the last three years, they build you up from the ground. It sounds a little dramatic, but the point is like, you just get to this empty canvas. Like you need to be broken, now I use it appropriately, to know where your zero point is, right? And I think in regards of how it applies to coaching or to the professional world, and it doesn't matter if it's sport or, or any other aspect, is you know yourself that well, that you know how potentially better than others, how you are perceived or want to be perceived in that very moment. And only if you know what empty looks, you can build on it, right? I know how my empty looks and then I can go like, okay, I want, what is, what is the objective for me in this situation, for example, is it X? Okay, then I need to know, or then I know what I need to do or how I need to then address certain things or how I need to kind of like mold in order to achieve that objective, right? It sounds a little bit harsh, but it's the same thing with, with manipulation. Manipulation has a bad connotation, but if you just look it up in the dictionary, it's not a bad thing. It's just manipulation has just the stigma, but it's, it's essentially just you're trying to achieve a certain, a certain outcome, right? So you manipulate the situation and yourself, um, you know, and so on. There's a point there around what you said around what acting does. If you wouldn't yeah. have known that you said acting and you jumped in at that point, I'd say I'd, I've heard people in the military and in the special forces especially say the same, say that actually our job is to break you down first before you build you back up. I yeah. don't know if you did work with any military people as an exos or that sort of stuff. Would you, it, I imagine it's a different type of thing, but are there, are there parallels there? I didn't spend time in the army, so um, I, can't, <laughs> I, I can't tell you like exactly. So I only have my perception. So the, the similarities are essentially you're trying to find the core of an individual, hmm. right? So I think that's that's where the similarity comes in. Like only if you have the core, you know what to deal with, right? And in the army, it's obviously a much more extreme scenario, right? So you need to really know if you can trust the person to your right and to your left, because that defines if you're alive or not. In acting, it's more like what is what is the outcome or the, the desired outcome is that the audience, maybe in front of a, a screen or in theater, understands the message that you want to um, send with a piece or in any given situation. Because a piece is always just a sum of the situations, 
So mm -hmm. the characters develop in a certain way, right? And in order to do that, you need to be once again, broken down and be in the moment. And you need to know who you are in order to be aware of what's going on around you. And I guess the similarity may be, and maybe it's a slightly crass comparison, but maybe there's, a, there's the, the thing about pressure and, or, and, the, and maybe the perception of pressure because yes, it is, in the military, it is life or death. TV and acting isn't, but I'm sure it feels definitely high pressured. Um, in the moment of having to kind of do that. So maybe that's where how you act under pressure maybe is, is where there's a similarity as opposed to the actual outcome. I think there's two components to that. Number one is the adaptability, right? So I think um, TV acting or, or, or film acting, right, is completely different to stage acting for the very reason that, you know, you can have several takes with a camera, right? Yeah. So it doesn't like, okay, maybe there's actors who need like three, four takes to get warm, and then boom, it's right there, right? But in theater, you don't have the chance to do it again because the show is running. So now if you do a mistake, you because you missed your mark or um, you know, you, you, somebody else forgot their, their text, right? Um, so you're like, okay, now we're five people, but how do we deal with that situation? Because we know that the audience needs to have a certain amount of information in order to move on. I think that is kind of like where the similarity and the pressure comes from um, that, that you mentioned is there is no second take in, in theater. So I think that's that's where it's really, really different and also where then potentially the, the situation or the pressure um, arises as in either it's live or die on stage. If you miss it, you miss it and then it's not going to be good. And everybody yeah. else on stage is affected by your mistake. And maybe that's the same thing as then in in the military in an extreme way yeah. right if i am the person who does a mistake then my whole squad is potentially endangered how much or what are the key things looking back now do you think the biggest lessons that you've learned from the experience that you've had outside of sport that's most transferable i think number number one the most transferable thing from acting per se is like reading a situation and reading the room or reading a, a individual in front of you and having a plan on your objective, right? So we all have an objective in any given situation. You know, if I'm a child and I want ice cream, I know how to manipulate mom or dad or both, right? If I'm if I'm an athlete and I don't want to do my prehab exercises, I need to find a way how I would potentially manipulate the athletic trainer or a physiotherapist, whatever. And the same thing that goes for me. If I know, okay, this is what he's trying to accomplish because I understand the context that's happening right now in the situation, I can bounce it off and prepare and then bounce that back. I think that is something that acting teaches you is, is really like reading what is actually happening because yeah. only if you do it properly, you get the outcome of a situation and get the applause or whatever the recognition from the audience. Um, and now in, in yeah. our context, I don't have an audience, but I still uh, need to be able to, to be in the situation and not, live like a situation later or live a situation before or even be in the wrong situation at all if five people yeah. in the room and four people are actually knowing what we're talking about and one person is off you know that the person is off do you think this is something that you can that anybody could learn yeah 100 percent. that's the reason why why they're why you can't study acting in in that regard right it is a technical discipline right as much as management is a technical discipline Everybody can become a good manager, but mm. people look at it as like 
oh, either you are a good manager or you're not, but that's not the mm -hmm. case. It's there are certain things that you need to work on and there are certain things that you constantly need to then revisit and, and, and whatnot to, in order to achieve that. But mm -hmm. believe me, if you see Jack Nicholson doing his movies, you never see the preparation. You just see the end result. But we all know, yeah. even in pro sports, like the result is just the game on the field. But if that would be everything we had to do, why do we train? The fans only see the 90 minutes, but they don't see the multiple training sessions, extra time, shooting drills, and so on that's happening in between. So and that's the same thing for acting or anything else. Like, yeah, yeah, if you don't work on that, it is a technical skill and everybody can learn that. Some maybe have more potential. Yeah. I'm not denying yeah. that, but that's the same thing for everything in life. And I guess it's, there's an interesting discussion there around the difference between managers and leadership. One definition of leadership would be, you say manipulation, but you could say influence would be a maybe a more accepted, happier word <laughs> or less negative way to influence people towards a common goal. Leadership is, in some regards, seen as a much kind of a higher level to management. Do you know what I mean? And, mm. and actually, to me, they're two sides of the same coin. They come, they come together. Then you can't have one without the other. You need both. Maybe in different people, but definitely within a team. For anybody listening to this who's maybe on their kind of practitioner journey or somebody who, well, hopefully everybody wants to develop and reach their potential, but would you have any advice for kind of people who kind of are just at the point of being a practitioner and they might be, up, be about to become a manager or leader? For the skills that you think that they could particularly what you might emphasize as being important to you or what you would recommend you know, the skills that they should like focus on you you see the amount of leadership and management books out there right so we could we could discuss that for you know days end so this is what i'm what i'm trying to say with this is this is just my experience or opinion there might be other yeah. opinions on that so this is not in any way meant to be absolute the most important thing when stepping up from being an individual contributor to mm. being responsible and, and, and in a management position is that it's not about you anymore, right? So, and I think the big thing here that people need to understand, in my opinion, is you can only hunt one rabbit at a time. So either you can work on your own skills or you can help others to work on their skills. Both simultaneously kind of like negate themselves because it's a matter of focus. So either the focus is outwards or the focus is inwards. That's the first, you know, mindset switch. If you're not ready to do this, and by ready, I mean, if you're not willing to do it, or if you just think, okay, I, there's still so much I want to explore in that specific discipline, then yeah. don't do it kind of like, or don't be pushed in a position like that. So that's the one component there. The other component I think is when managers have to be good leaders, Nowadays, leaders don't necessarily have to be good managers. Mm. So as much as leadership is about where to go, management is about how to get there. And you need to know on the, on the spectrum of your piano, am I now playing the black keys or am I playing the white keys? And this is, this is where potentially the biggest challenge is. For a lot of people, specifically now that leadership is such a buzzword, is that does this moment require leadership or does this moment require management of an individual or a group or a team? Yeah. And I think that is something that only comes with experience. And that's kind of like where this is a catch-22. Yeah. At some stage, I had to decide, do I want to become the best, whatever, SNC coach out there or do I want to shift my focus on being like, no, I think that's enough for me as a generalist now. 
but now I want to actually be the puppet master and help others to find their, I always, I use the term inner greatness. Like, is it that they want to be the best individual contributor that's out there on this planet? Or is their path leading somewhere else, which is then management, maybe management could be something completely different, but, and that's kind of like then where I'm going to, I can't focus on myself. I need to focus on them. And that's, I think the, that answers a long, long answer. Yeah, no, that's a really, really good answer. That's really, you know, we, we speak to a lot of people in this, like a bit of a dilemma almost of feeling like they're a brilliant individual contributor. They love, say it's an SSC case, they love that job. And they can see people going into kind of like heads of role or kind of senior people or peers yeah. of theirs or people. And they're like, I want to go and do that. And you're like, but why? Like, yeah. you love what you do. Why just keep doing it? Or, people maybe who definitely have the more human skills of being good relationship people or good communicators or being able to inspire or create followership. People have those skills, but that if they come through a practitioner route, they over index on the technical and they think they have to continue to develop their technical expertise when you get to a level where you're good enough and then actually you go and do other things. I mean, that must be a thing that, that we see that every day in the conversations we have. And I guess it's a balance of understanding your own self-awareness of both what you're good at, but also what you want to do. And I think sometimes, you know, a strength is not something you're good at. A strength is something that gives you strength, <laughs> you know, that, yeah. and I guess, you know, I think that's the way we try and get people to look at it because people do get trapped in the industry of this is the path, this is what I should do. I don't, I don't know if you've seen that with, with other people or maybe even with yourself, I don't know. <laughs> No, for sure. I mean, at some stage, everybody is is at the needs to ask the hard questions to themselves, right? Yeah. As in, like like you said, what is it that I want to do? And you see people in the recent past, and I'm I'm not sure if that's you know based a little bit on the pandemic and the experience through through that, but you see a lot of people dropping out of in positions as uh, such as myself, dropping out of the yeah. embedded team environment in professional sport, going like I don't want to do this anymore because they are they realize yeah. oh there's that's not what I want. This is, you know, there's a different path for life for me. There's different, you know, things that I want to focus on, and that's great. But then you see also the other, the other side of the coin, like you said, as in, you can be a highly paid individual contributor. Like people are going like, oh, I need to do this because I want more money. Well, to be fair, like I'm now bringing up the Google example uh, um, as well. Yeah. If you're a freakishly good software engineer. Yeah. You make five times as much as I make. Yeah. You know, and you're not even you're not even close to being a director. You're just a very, very, very good software engineer somewhere at Google and nobody knows who you are, but you own six houses, you know, and make make your seven figure income. These are the things that you need to decide whether like it, it can't be money, but what is it that you number one think you have to offer to the world? What is the best you can give to the world? And what is it that how can you combine this with what you actually want to do? I recently watched the Elvis movie. I'm not sure if you guys seen that movie. It's a good, brilliant movie. Very, very good. Um, but the the movie, and I'm not sure if it's true or not. I'm not. I'm an Elvis fan in the way everybody's an Elvis fan because you know of his contributions to music. But that's exactly the point. Like as in the movie, then shows like the dilemma he's in. As in. He has the power to change the world because he's such an influential person or was such an influential person. But on the other hand, it also breaks him because what he actually wants to do 
is making music, his music, and the way he wants to make music. So that's kind of like this dilemma, to use your word earlier, as in finding the balance between those two extremes is potentially the hardest thing a human being can decide on for him or herself, is in where do those two paths combine? And that's the sweet spot. And that's why you see so many people complaining or so many people, you know, going like, I'm not sure if that's what I want to do. I'm not saying it's their fault. It's just because it's tough. It's just really, really tough to really find that sweet spot where you in that moment in life feel that you have met your personal um, needs as much as what you can give to the world. And that might be different today than it will be five years from now than it was five years. So this is a constant conversation that you have to have with yourself or with your trusted advisors to bounce off, obviously, some some ideas. How important do you think the environment is that, that people operate in? in helping people kind of thrive and reach their potential because we're almost the way we've talked about it here mm. is that almost we're, we're kind of inside our own heads aren't we? we're talking about how how you take responsibility for those things and how you almost the, the conversation you're having with yourself but in your experience and you've been in some really diverse environments way more than people a lot of people who have just worked in sport have how important do you think that environment is in kind of shaping almost what's possible for people the environment shapes who we are. It's the analogy um, of, of Usain Bolt, right? It's the two Gs. It's genetics and geography. If, mm-hmm. if Usain Bolt would have been born in the UK, like as in England, in Bath, he potentially would have never become the world's best sprinter of all time. Because sprinting is not the number one thing people in the UK do. They play football. He would have been potentially a decent football player just because he's fast. Let's just put it there. Speculation, I know. But the point is that the same thing, I think, goes with the environment in general. So what I'm saying is the analogy is you develop in a certain way because of where you are. Hmm. So the environment becomes the the carpet, essentially, that shapes who you are. Hmm. Different analogy would be, think about, you know, relationship. Like the, the environment is it's an environment of love, right? So that's kind of like where you are. That doesn't mean that you don't have outbursts, then you hate each other, then you love each other even more than you typically do. Anyhow, so the point is like, but the environment is this. So the, the does it make sense? Maybe I'm just yep. going on a tangent here. Yeah, I, I, I love the metaphors, I agree. So, I don't know if I agree with the Usain Bolt one. I'd argue that maybe you've, the one person who, I, I, he loves football, right? So you could see him actually just, if his passion's football, but from what I know is that he broke world records from the age of like 12 or something. So like, he's like, <laughs> he was so quick that maybe he's the one that's genetically so strong, but I, t- I absolutely take the principle of what you mean of somebody, and maybe he is the best person to use as an example, because even if somebody who's that genetically gifted might still, if not, you know, grown up in the sport where sprinting is the sport, maybe he would have gone and played with the sport. I absolutely take the point. No, you're right. I'm, I'm not saying that. Anything I say is uh, with an asterisk. To answer your point, I think the environment allows us to either be ourselves and express ourselves the way we really are. That is what the environment does. And also, how much does my environment allow me to absorb what's going on? So, and I think that is where having a diverse 
background or a diverse set of experiences comes in, if you really are open to it, right, the environment will help you to learn different things. And that can be cognitive as much as it can be a, a technical skill, as much as, you know, can be, can be something else. It's always a situation environment that teaches us things, period. I was lucky enough to be exposed to those different environments uh, in my personal uh, case or example. You, you talked about data and the way it's used and that yeah. sort of thing. Could you maybe just give us a bit more on that around kind of what that experience was like and how it and the specific point you made about how you use data? Well, information is the currency of the future. It already is. So that's the one yeah. thing, you know, as a precursor that Google understood very, very early on. And on that notion, everything you do essentially has to be tied to a number. Stupid example, you give three coaching sessions a week instead of th uh, two before. So then you need to justify by numbers that, mm -hmm. you know, those three coaching sessions now are more effective than two. And that could be now by just pure strength levels, whatever, but that's an easy, um, an easier one, but it's more like justifying Google to, as in like, we had maybe 40 people coming in on average a week, and now 60 people are coming in, like individual users because of the three sessions. Then you go like, all right, okay, now we can justify why we need another coach and why we have to have three sessions a week. It's the constant demand of objectively justifying every single action that you do. And if the outcome is not positive, right? Or if you can't explain, okay, whatever, it's kicking off in three months and whatnot, they know the growth um, mindset as in trajectory. But if you don't justify why this and this and this and this number, then it's kind of like, no, let's just stop doing it. You need to do something different. This is not working, right? And that's what I really, really ingrained in everything I do is not necessarily only, you know, GPS data, what everybody's used to and, and so, but how does it apply to, again, what we deliver as a service from a performance side of things? You're quite a purposeful person. You're not somebody who comes across at all as somebody who's kind of data-driven or who looks at that side of it. I'd say you're one of the most kind of personable, kind of authentic people in this space. You know, so you don't, if that seems a real strength of yours, you're kind of like a people person, you know, that's what you do. And so there is a, Maybe there's not attention there, but the, it's just so interesting to me for you talking about that data piece because you don't present that, that at all. You present as somebody who actually, you know, just because you can measure everything or you, know, you can measure a lot of things, you know, not everything that matters, you can measure. So do you wrestle with that kind of paradox between, I guess, almost the objective and the subjective way of measuring things? For sure. There, there's, you know, that's, that is potentially the hardest thing to do uh, in, in, in regards of, again, diplomacy between, between leadership and management, that's exactly what it is. Management is getting stuff done, right? And, and like I said, if leadership is uh, where, where do you want to go, uh, management is how to get there. This is where it's really important that you have um, the appropriate or the, the people around you, and then you, then you create this vision, mission, and you know, your values because essentially that's what drives their actions. And that's the purpose. The vision is the purpose. Why do we do what we do? And how, if you don't have somebody on the, on the team that can relate to that, it's not the right 
person on the team, right? And that doesn't make that person a good person, a bad person. It might just not be the right fit. So this is where you can kind of like sift them through, through okay, what is the group of, of people? What is the team that, that is able to deliver on that purpose and who is aligned with, with what I think or what matters um, on, on, that, on that culture slash vision level? And then the, the numbers essentially are the, the tracking, the objectives, the, the results come in as in, look, this is, we still need to, in order to achieve that purpose, right? In order to deliver on what, what we think we have to give, what we want to offer, every individual then has certain, you know, strengths, like you said, and certain um, other things that they may not be as good as. I'm not going to talk about that in this specific moment, but they've got, okay, what do you think you can deliver, right? What are the results that you can contribute? Where do you think you can contribute the most to achieving that, that uh, common purpose? And then it's on me and the conversation with the team to find out what do you guys think is a good number in that case or a good measurement to track that success. If he was successful or she, right? We need to know because we want to see what impact did that person. That's, I think, I use the word impact quite a lot. What, like for me, these measurements are a measurement of impact of an individual on the purpose or objective that we want to achieve as, as a group. And because I'm, like I said earlier, in my case, I'm a generalist more. I think I've done all the different disciplines in, in the performance space. But number one, I'm not doing it right now. Number two, since I've done it, there has been development. And number three, this person is hopefully better than I ever was at that yeah. because that's the people you want to surround yourself with. Okay, tell me what would be the right thing to do. I'm not going to tell you how to do it because you are in that driver's seat. So this yeah. is your autonomy. And this is how then you can tie that as well back because then it becomes a common purpose mm. and not something which is my purpose and I want you to fulfill my purpose. And this is yeah. then where, and now I'm going to come full circle to your question. And this is where the people side of things come in. Because sometimes, obviously, you, you get to that point as in, well, I don't agree with this, right? Or I don't think that this is what we should do. And then you need to be able to go like, I understand what you're saying. But right now, your part of the equation is not as important as this part of the equation. And you have to have built trust beforehand with those people that they go like, all right, okay, for the next two months, I'll help this person to achieve that. But then it will balance out because at the end, a rising tide, you know, raises uh, all the boats, right? Yeah. So this is what we need to do. And sometimes it's like this, I use the garden analogy a lot. It's like sometimes if you, if you want to grow a beautiful garden, right? Japanese gardens are the best example. Sometimes you need to cut certain things and other things can grow. And sometimes you just need to neglect a certain part and your full attention goes over there. But it's a matter of explaining why and tying that back to that purpose that will create that and that for that you need to be able to be um, a people person to use your words yeah you talked about vision and values you talk about purpose and objectives and i guess the way i'm framing that is that objectives are kind of a bit clearer and maybe a little bit more task focused i mean this might be semantics but that's how I do. when you have an objective it's to get somewhere whereas purpose maybe is a bit deeper and it's got more of your why sort of approach have i kind of read that right would you look at those slightly differently with you know purpose being no, for sure. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the purpose is hopefully something 
that you can always work towards to, right? There's not necessarily an end goal. Like you can work on world peace. It's a great purpose. And yeah. the moment you don't have to work on that anymore or you can't work towards yeah. it anymore, but, um, and an objective is then like just, again, you decide the purpose is an overall thing, but then under this, there fall certain objectives um, as in, okay, what can we do now? What is under our control? What do we think is um, helping us to get closer to mm. that object and uh, that um, purpose, right? Or to contribute to that higher purpose. And I think that's where the objectives come in. And that is highly situational, highly environment dependent and like subject of a certain, again, philosophy, I guess, as well, yeah. um, if, that, if that makes sense. So I think the purpose, you'll never, if you choose your purpose right, you'll never able to achieve this specific purpose as it is phrased. We're talking about helping people reach their potential, but there is a tent another tension or challenges around looking at things based on on the individual and looking at things based on the team because you, you have to sometimes wrestle with that because you know there is an identity that every individual have but definitely teams have an identity or kind of sense and people we enjoy we're a social animal right we like enjoy being in groups so but that doesn't mean that not everybody thinks together a lot of talk about diversity in groups and kind of why that's a good thing. How do you balance, I guess, the needs of the individual with the needs of the team, I guess, is the question. <laughs> I guess that's the holy grail, isn't it? To tie it back to what we discussed before, I think the most important thing is that you slash the group, the team has a North Star. So you can always tie it back to that and everybody always knows this is why we're doing things and this is the direction we're going towards. And this is very philosophical, by the way, because I guess it's also very culturally dependent and whatnot. It's, we always talk about, you know, not having, not having too much of an ego, right? So that's one thing I think you need to be open to go like, what's different is just different, but not wrong. Because we don't know how somebody else got to that conclusion, if that makes sense, even if you talk about the same thing. So on that notion, I think when we speak about diversity, I'm only going to um, talk now about cognitive diversity because we can sure. go into identity yeah. diversity, which becomes a complete, I think yeah. that's, that's very important. So task relevant diversity or cognitive diversity, that's what we're looking for. So meaning that in order to achieve that, you have to have diversity, right? So the, the, the question is just, you can have too much diversity as well. Mm-hmm. And that's where, where I'm, when I'm saying like, it has to be task relevant. So I can bring in a Nobel Prize author into our performance department, but that wouldn't necessarily help us, I guess, to win more titles. If I bring a Nobel Prize physicist in, maybe a little bit more. If I I, um, bring in a Nobel Prize mathematician, I think we're getting close to being task relevant. So I think this is is the one component of being, being really deliberate on... What do I have right now? And what is a piece that's missing? Because if you do that, number one, you don't have the battle between two individuals. Going like, oh, this guy is now fighting for my spot here. Or this guy is yeah. now trying to you know, push me out because he's kind of like similar to what I do. A little bit different only, but he's, he's intimidating or she or them. I think that's the, that's the understanding first and foremost in regards of diversity. And then you need to essentially create that space that those individuals can express themselves, right? So you need to then 
think if we tie it back to management now, now it's essentially finding project-based collaboration because that means you have cross-functional contributions. And then, so then you start with small projects, right? Okay, we have this, whatever, certain player, let's say, for example, and he has, stupid example, I know, but it makes the case, is like he has ankle mobility issues. So now you go like, okay, this person needs, but he's, you know, whatever, our best player. So we don't even, like, we need to know, we don't know what he does and, and where this evolved from at this moment in time. So I need this, this, and this individual working together. So this is your project. Then those guys can work on a small project together. That creates then in, in turn the trust. Going like, okay, we'll work on this together because the result is mutually owned. So yeah. I'm not going to point at this and this and this individual. So no, you want No, it's a cross-functional work. And then you can make those projects bigger. So this is where I, I like to use a product management approach, which once yeah. again is something that, that is really prevalent in the tech, uh, tech industry. Um, because you need to create products, and how do you do yeah. that um, yeah. in the best possible way? So I think I think a product-based approach in regards of now my space, right? When you yeah. think about team building, as in the the players per se, I have an opinion, but I I think this is more a question to ask like a, a proper a proper head coach, because yeah. I might not know all the different things that go into that uh, component, right? To finding a diverse group. If you could give kind of one tip, just thinking back, if you were kind of like, you know, 22 again, and you could go, if there's one experience that I want to make sure that I kind of get in the next few years, I think this is a thing that I really want to try and do, which to me, you've done quite a few very interesting things. So and it's only your opinion. Don't worry. This can be, this can be weird. It can be different. It can be, but if you look at somebody now coming on their journey, is there anything you think, do you know what, if it was me doing this again, I want to make sure that I did this again, or I did something different. What, what would be that thing? Two things. Number one, I wish I would have done six months at least of traveling around the world because the exposure to to different cultures um, helps you not only to create better relationships, but also helps you to realize that whatever you have is just an opinion, yeah. but it's never the truth. It's just one way of to look at things and you don't know what you don't know that's what you can do when you're re when you're young like perfect do it and then go to as many different countries and and get exposure to the real culture so don't stay in five-star hotel so that's the one thing i wish i would have done that i regret the other thing that i think was most important for me was essentially the switch from being an actor on stage or like being an actor myself to then coaching actors. So I did that as well for a couple of years. And this is where I began to understand what it means to serve others, to, to help others achieve a certain objective. And they are so tied up in their own mind that they don't have that outside perspective. And this in conjunction with that actors have a, typically a higher level of ego. So you need to now be able to transport a certain message, help that individual to see things that you want them to see, which they currently can't see, and transport that message in a way that they feel they're not attacked and that they feel that you're actually trying to help them and that they um, you know, accept as 
oh, this is actually a good point that you're trying to make. So I think the coaching of actors was, I think, the most important thing as, as a bridge from yeah. my first um, kind of like career to the, to the second career. Yeah. Max, thank you for your time. I really enjoyed it. It's an hour. It's gone very quickly. So thanks for your time. Hopefully we'll get to do this again sometime. Anytime, my man. Thank you so much for your time. I appreciate uh, you know, the invitation. Well.